Welcome to Prima's 2019 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Sasha Dyson will discuss service animals in the workplace. Sasha is currently a partner at Thompson Sizemore Gonzalez in Hearing PA, a law firm located in Tampa, Florida. She is board certified in labor and employment law by the Florida Bar. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, Prima's education coordinator. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Sasha. I'm very glad to be here to be talking about this topic. So what has changed in recent years regarding service animals? Well, a lot has changed. There certainly is a lot more publicity to this issue than there there used to be. There are many different types of service animals that you can read by the stories you see in the newspaper. There's been therapy turkeys and emotionally support monkeys and uh, lots of different publicity related to these issues. Some service animals even have their own Facebook pages. Along with the publicity has come a lot of litigation. There's been numerous different types of lawsuits that have now been brought as it relates to service animals and emotional support animals. There's also been essentially a new industry. You can go online and get a certificate for an emotional support animal without having to have a doctor-patient relationship. And there's also regulatory uncertainty that's changed in this area. The Department of Justice has amended and reissued its guidance. Some state legislatures are starting to get involved. The Florida legislature, in particular where I am in, in Tampa, has a bill pending this legislative session over the issue emotional support animals in particular. And so it's becoming an area that is as an increasing amount of attention is being drawn to. What laws govern the use of service animals in the public workplace? There are several laws that are implicated. First, when we're talking about employees, we have Title I of the ADA. So that's going to apply to your workplace requests that are made by employees if an employee wanted to use a service animal in the workplace. And then we have Title II or Title III, which are areas of uh, public accommodation. And so this is areas where the public is normally allowed to, to go into. And so under these laws, we have to allow the public to bring service animals into those areas. Then we also have state laws that are implicated. In Florida in particular, where there's Florida Employment or the Florida Civil Rights Act, which is applies to both public accommodation accommodations and and workplace requests. And then there's also a Florida service animal law that's implicated. And other state legislatures are also enacting similar type of laws that govern how and when service animals are allowed in either public places, places of public accommodation, or in the workplaces. And then even outside that area, the Fair Housing Act and the Air Carrier Access Act are implicated. Then those really relate to the emotional support animals that you've seen, probably most of the, the news stories surrounding those issues. Is there a difference between a public citizen's use of a service animal and an employee's use of a service animal? If so, how do they differ? 
There is a difference between them. So a citizen's use of an, in a service animal would be limited to those public areas, the areas that the public can access. And a service animal under Title II, Title III of the ADA is limited to certain dogs, in some instances miniature horses. But that's the, the extent of what could be a service animal. So there's no other type of animal that could count, such as a cat or something along those lines. When you're dealing with a citizen's use, though, there is no interactive process like there is when you're dealing with an employee's request under the ADA. So you you don't get the opportunity to ask for medical documentation, and your inquiry is rather limited when presented with an animal in a public area of a workplace. Now, an employee's use of a service animal is completely different. But it's treated no different, though, than any other request for accommodation. So, like any other request, if the disability isn't obvious, then you can make a request for medical documentation. The employee must be qualified to be able to perform the essential functions of the job with or without the accommodation. And so, when presented with an employee who wants to use a service animal, you can look at what what job function can't be performed if the employee is not allowed to use the service animal. And how does the service animal allow the employee to perform the essential functions of the job? Are there other accommodations that would allow the individual to perform the essential functions of the job that would not that would not necessarily require a service animal? Does the service animal create an undue hardship in the workplace? And so under the ADA, this is Title I of the ADA, you don't have to grant the requested accommodation, only a reasonable accommodation. Also, under the ADA and dealing with an employee's request, you may have to consider if if the um, if there's a direct threat that's posed in this particular instance. Now, I would caution, of course, that that is a high burden on the employer. It requires an independent assessment of facts, but it creates a, a different analysis, certainly, than it does uh, when you're dealing with a citizen's access to the public areas of the workplace. What types of animals are considered service animals? Can an individual have more than one service animal? A service animal under Title II or Title III of the ADA is a dog who is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for the benefit of the individual with a disability. So it is not a pet or a comfort animal. It can be trained to perform tasks to assist someone with a psychiatric disability, but that's very different than when we're dealing with a pet or comfort animal. There are no breed restrictions, however, under the ADA, but the work or tasks performed by the animal must be related to the disability. While the animal must be individually trained, it does not require professional training under the ADA, and it does not allow under under the ADA for dog service dogs in training to be considered a service animal under the ADA. Now, there are some state legislatures that have recognized dogs in training as a service animal, Florida being one of those states. The other type of animal that can be a service animal is a miniature horse. Now, this is only when it's 
the, the miniature horse can only qualify as a service animal when it would be reasonable. But the miniature horse also must be individually trained to do work or perform a task for the benefit of the disabled individual. Now, when you're dealing with a miniature horse, because obviously you're dealing with difference in sizes between a, even a miniature horse and a dog, you're, you have reasonableness factors that, that you can look to that consider the type the animal, whether the animal is under the handler's control, whether it's housebroken, and whether the presence of a miniature horse could compromise legitimate safety issues. Now, the question about whether you can have more than one service animal, you can. The employer or the, the entity would make the same inquiry of both animals. But the entity may not be able to, in effect, accommodate both animals. For example, if you have a small, crowded restaurant and only one dog can fit under the table, then that restaurant is not able to accommodate having two animals. Now, if you're dealing with an employee's request for more than one service animal in the workplace, then you have to engage, of course, in the interactive process. And having two animals as a reasonable accommodation would seem to be a difficult task to establish that both of them are required to be able to perform the essential functions with someone who is qualified to perform the job duties. One important caveat to remember when we're dealing with employees as well is that under Title I of the ADA, there is no definition of what is a service animal. So unlike Title III where we're dealing with just certain dogs and certain miniature horses, there is no similar limitation under Title I, but we are um, under a different analysis when we're dealing with Title I. So you can request the medical documentation. The, the individual has to be qualified. So you can't reject without consideration other types of animals, but that type of animal, it goes into the discussion of the interactive process, and there isn't any automatic right under Title I of the ADA to bring an animal in. You have to go through the interactive process to identify what is the reasonable accommodation. Thanks for tuning in to this Prima podcast. Here are some words from Prima's marketing manager, Till Griffey, regarding Prima's 2020 annual conference call for proposals. Prima is now accepting education session proposals for our 2020 annual conference in Nashville, Tennessee. Successful proposals will offer engaging, timely, and innovative information that speaks to all public risk management professionals. Submit your proposal or learn more at conference.primacentral.org forward slash 2020. That's conference.primacentral.org forward slash 2020. Deadline for submissions is Friday, July 26. Thanks, Till. Now back to the podcast. What questions can be asked if an employer encounters an animal in the workplace? In encountering an animal in the in the workplace, when you're dealing with areas of public accommodation, you only get two questions. One, is it a service animal that is required because of a disability? And two, you get to ask what work or tasks has the animal been trained to perform? That's it. Those are the only questions you get. You can't ask for documentation or proof of any of those things. 
you just get to ask those two questions. If those two questions are answered and the animal is either a dog or a miniature horse, then there's going to be an entitlement under Title III or Title II of the ADA to allow the animal as a service animal into the areas of public accommodation. Now, if you are dealing with an employee who makes a request, then, of course, we're dealing with the interactive process, and the inquiry is much broader than the type of inquiry that you can conduct under Title III of the ADA. You can seek documentation about the service and training provided, confirmation the dog was actually trained. You can ask for how information on how the work or tasks relate to the disability, how the function served by the animal allows the individual to perform his or her job. You can ask to see vaccination and licensing is all part of the, the interactive process. But again, remember that when you're dealing with Title I, we don't have the same definition of service animal. So it doesn't necessarily have to be individually trained to meet that definition under uh, the same definition you would under Title III. What type of proof can be required for use of a service animal? Talking about proof, the issue when when we look at public accommodation is that there's very little proof that you can require. You can't require um, uh, proof of certification, training, or license. There is no government agency that tracks or certifies service animals. There's no special vest, badge, or ID tag that a service animal will will have, and you can't require the individual to demonstrate the tasks. The only thing you get to do with public accommodation is ask the, the two questions. Now, and in the employment context, the inquiry and the documentation requested is much broader in that, that you can request as part of the normal interactive process. What type of restrictions can be imposed on a service animal? We're dealing with a service animal. A service animal has to be under the handler's control at all times. Typically, this means that the animal needs to be on a leash unless the disability that the individual has prevents the use of a leash. But even in that case, the animal has to be under the control by voice or signal. The individual is also responsible for all care and supervision of the animal. So we're talking about toileting, feeding, grooming, and veterinary care. The individual can be responsible for damage that's caused by the service animal if that damage is uniformly applied to no matter what causes the damage. But there is no ability to charge any type of entry fee or special assessment, even if that fee would be charged on on individuals with pets. There is, however, no exemption from the local animal control and public health requirements. So, if, for instance, just because it's a service animal doesn't mean it's allowed to, to swim in the swimming pool, but it may be permitted on the pool deck. And typically, uh, dogs in restaurants, for example, must stay on the floor and can't sit at the table or you can't feed the dog from the table. Now, as part of reasonable accommodation, when we're dealing with an employee who's making a request for a service animal, you can impose greater restrictions if they're necessary in determining the reasonable accommodation. So you can have limits on control and access, limits on weight, type, and breed, um, the rules that will, will apply, the circumstances when the animal will be removed, the rules for who's responsible for care and damage. All of those need to be considered as part of the interactive process 
Now, you also need to remember that if you do allow an employee to use a service animal, you may have to consider other accommodations to allow for care. You may have to adjust break times or provide outside access or move the employee closer to the exit. You may have to conduct some type of disability awareness training for employees so they know how to interact with the service animal. You may have to provide some type of enclosed workstation so the dog's presence isn't distracting to others. And so that needs to be all part of the interactive process when you're discussing this. Now, if caring for the service animal requires the employer to eliminate an essential function, then the service animal request may not be reasonable in that instance. In what circumstances can the service animal be excluded? Service animal can be excluded when they are out of control or the handler is not taking uh, effective action to control. So that's talking about dogs who bark, who bite, who snap, who act aggressive. If the dog is not housebroken, then that dog can be excluded as a service animal from the location. If the dog's presence fundamentally alters the nature of the goods and services, that's another exception that allows the exclusion of a service animal. And so this would be this would come up in the in the circumstance, for example, where you have let's say a boarding school that has a dander-free dormitory. Then restricting the dog from entering that that dormitory would be appropriate. The dog could be excluded from that dormitory. Probably more the frequent example would be restricting service animals in certain locations at the zoo, where animals on display are the natural predatory or prey, or the dog would be disruptive to that particular exhibit. Now, we have to remember, though, that even if you can exclude the service animal, you can't exclude the person. So, the person still has to be offered the ability to access those public areas. A dog may also be excluded if they have a history of posing a threat or not being under the control of the handler, so if the dog has been in there in the past and has been out of control, or limited instances where the dog poses a direct threat. And this really needs to be based on the dog's behavior. So it's not that it's based on some stereotype or fear about that type of dog, but the impact that a dog's presence has poses a direct threat. What if a coworker is allergic to the animal? How do you handle that scenario? That is definitely a difficult scenario. So we have to remember that if the the presence of a service animal impacts another employee in some way, that you as an employer may have to engage in the interactive process with that other employee to determine if interacting with the service animal is an essential function or whether some other accommodation needs to be granted. And so this does come up in the, in the instance of coworkers with allergies. And it, so you have to engage in the interactive process with both of those coworkers. If the first coworker with the service animal, the result of that interactive process is that, that you conclude it would be a reasonable accommodation to allow the service animal, but then it impacts another coworker because they have, that works in the next cubicle because of the allergies that they have, then you may have to engage in the interactive process with that coworker. And so, and through the, the interactive process, you would consider, you know, can the employees work in different areas? Can they travel different paths? Is there would a portable air purifier help in that scenario? Are there flexible schedules so the two employees don't have to necessarily interact? Can there be work at homework or a, or a schedule of sharing of common areas? 
if the two employees have to be together, is, are there other types of temporary accommodations? Is there some type of dander care product that begin, can be given to the, to the dog? Do you have to clean, dust, vacuum? And so there's a, a whole host of considerations that have to be discussed as part of the interactive process when you're dealing with uh, not only the service animal, but how it impacts the other employees in the workplace. We've reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.